You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1852nd edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 30th of October 2021. The editor of this edition is myself, Graham Parley, and the producer is Joan Hogarth. And your readers, is just myself at the moment, is Graham Parley. I should also like to mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. I will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. So uh, I should explain that uh, as I'm on my own, I will just run through the whole uh, reading programme, which is usually we start with headlines. Then I go on to general articles, then some letters, then back to some general. Excuse me. I should also explain that uh, in the editing of this, uh, there are quite a number of articles that are on two sides of the same piece of newspaper, which means that I have to uh, make a bit of noise sometimes when I'm finding the article to read out. So if you don't mind that, uh, that's my little excuse for that. So starting with the first headline, Flooding due to burst water main causes huge disruption. Drivers in Bury St Edmunds were faced with disruption on Tuesday afternoon after a burst water main flooded large parts of the Morton Hall interchange roundabout. Police were forced to close sections of the roundabout on the A134, just off junction 44 of the A14, after water was seen gushing out from the main and onto the road. Water supply on the Morton Hall estate and across the town was disrupted as a result. Anglian Water confirmed that properties were experiencing low pressure or had no water at all before it was restored just before 4pm on Tuesday afternoon as engineers redirected the network. Repairs continued into Wednesday, closing two lanes of the Beddingfield Way roundabout due to the complex nature of the damage, with drivers being diverted to the Ruffham interchange. A spokesman for Anglian Water said, Following a burst water main in Bury St Edmunds yesterday, October the 19th, our engineers responded quickly to reroute water around our network to restore supplies to all customers. We're now in the process of planning the repair into the damaged pipe. Due to its position under the A14, it's a more complex repair than normal. In order to keep our engineers and other road users safe, we have closed two lanes of the Beddingfield Way roundabout, with a diversion in place. We'd like to thank local residents for their patience while we carry out this emergency work. Abbots Green Academy in Airfield Road, 
closed on Tuesday afternoon due to the disruption. In a message issued to parents, the school said, Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, we currently have no running water due to a water fault. This means that since 12.30pm there has been limited access to water or toilets. Whilst this has been reported to Anglian Water as an urgent concern, there is no timescale given to a solution. With cleanliness, pupil and staff well-being as our main priorities, we there have no other option than to close the school this afternoon. Both Sybil Andrews Academy and Serbert Wood Community Primary remained open. In a statement sent to parents, Sebert Wood said they had lost their water supply for a brief period of time, but it had been restored, allowing for their parents' evening to take place as normal. And now move on to uh, the next headline, which is Hundreds Voice Fears Over Huge Solar Farm. Hundreds of people turned out to voice their anger over plans to construct a sprawling two and a half thousand acre solar farm on their doorstep. More than 250 residents from Islam or Islam and its surrounding villages attended a meeting at the Beckles Community Centre on Friday and left sorry, the Beaches Community Centre on Friday and left attending MPs Lucy Fraser and Matt Hancock in no doubt about their concerns over the plans. Before the meeting began, those attending observed a minute's silence in memory of MP Sir David Ames, who had been murdered just hours before, and several police officers attended a late notice to safeguard the two MPs present. The project, which is being put forward by solar farm company company Seneca, will cover an area of more than 2,500 acres with an application expected to be presented next month. The farm would be a nationally significant infrastructure project, and as a result, the application will not go through traditional planning application routes. Speaking at the meeting, Lucy Fraser said, We have done what we can to liaise, and Matt and I invited Seneca along to this meeting today, but they refused. Significant infrastructure such as this will be decided upon by the Planning Inspector and Secretary of State, but Matt and I have opposed the project, and particularly its size. Matt Hancock said, Lucy and I have been working very closely on this proposal, and despite my view being that we need renewable energy, from the moment I saw the map, <coughs> excuse me, I was not in favour of this project. My immediate concerns are the overall impact on the environment and local area, the size of this material change and the batteries, which can be problematic in terms of safety when used on this scale. He added, The fact that Seneca have put a project of this size forward and then not turned up to this meeting is arrogant. Among the concerns raised by those in attendance was loss of the quality of agricultural land, the scale of the development and its impact on Islam, the capability of local roads to deal with trucks passing through each day for two years during construction. 
the effect on wildlife and the potential hazard of the large lithium battery catching fire. Residents were informed that a fire at a battery storage system in Liverpool in September last year had taken more than 10 hours to bring under control and the Seneca Project's battery energy storage system would be one of the largest in the world at 315 battery containers if approved. Leaflets pinned on the centre's notice board said that noxious fumes released by a battery fire could theoretically pose a health risk to people living in Soham, Newmarket and the outskirts of Bury St Edmunds. Island Parish Council Richard Radcliffe said it was useful to have Lucy and Matt in attendance and I would encourage everyone to make their views known once the application is submitted. It was disappointing that Seneca couldn't hear those views face to face. In a statement after the meeting, Action Group Chairman Dr Catherine Judkins said, We were very pleased uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. We were very pleased to be in conversation with our local MPs who showed a real understanding of their constituents cons- views about the Seneca proposal. They gave us strong support that this industrial scale battery and solar pa- plant which takes up valuable arable farmland, is inappropriate. A major concern is that the statutory community consultation, a pillar of the Nationally Significant Infrastructure Project, that's NSIP, process, has been inadequate and unacceptably driven through during periods of national lockdown. It is really important that residents understand the specific issues and take part in the public inquiry process. The next most likely stage. Community volunteers are working hard alongside 16 parish and town councils to keep residents informed and share the knowledge. We know we may have a fight on our hands to keep our local agriculture, wildlife and landscape and deter these unsafe mega battery storage systems from being built so close to homes and schools. The Action Group is raising funds for legal and technical support at www.justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash say no to Seneca. And now I'm going to move on to some general items. The first one is a Bury St Edmunds beekeeper on a mission to save the species stumbled across a very rare hive after stepping in to help an elderly couple in need. Karen Stroud works as a security manager at the Bank of England in London, and in her spare time she keeps bees at an apiary in Essex. The 48-year-old is on Facebook group for bee lovers and came across a post about the couple, Derek and June Field, who live near West Suffolk Hospital and a hive in their back garden which needed removing. On Monday, Karen went with Barnaby Shaw of B Urban, a London-based social enterprise, to Mr and Mrs Fields' home, and what they saw shocked them. I went to retrieve them, and I never expected anything like it. There were thousands of bees, Karen said. I got so much honey off them and the queen... I kid you not, it was amazing, she added. Basically, 
a swarm landed in about April and managed to take residence on a branch outside. But what made the hive different to most others was the fact that it had an open comb, something Karen said was very rare. On Tuesday, Karen transported the hive down to the apiary, and it was just in time, she said, as inclement weather would have seen the hive destroyed if she had not moved it. Karen, who has the army, was in the army before taking up her current role at the Bank of England, came to beekeeping after a period of travelling and discovering about the insect's plight. I just wanted to help save the bees with the population diminishing, and I just thought, if I can do something to help, and it got obsessive, she said. I started with one hive, in Essex, and now I'm on my fourth. But the bank support me and they think it's great. I do open days with the kids as well. Some studies have revealed bee populations worldwide are in decline due to climate change. My next article is Queues form as flexi-stay ticket machines fail. Long queues formed in a Bury St Edmunds Town Centre car park after ticket machines failed at the weekend. Paul Kingsbury said he had to stand in a ridiculous 10-minute queue at the St Andrew's Street Flexi-Stay car park to register his car and then faced another queue to register his exit. A spokesman for West Suffolk Council said a network issue, which had since been resolved, affected the two machines. Visitors to Bury St Edmunds can once again visit the tourist information point at St Edmundsbury Cathedral. The information hub, part of the cathedral shop on Angel Hill, has been closed since March 2020. Firstly because of the pandemic and then a serious flood in May 2021, which caused damage to the stock fittings requiring extensive repair. The newly refurbished tourist information point is now open from 10am to 5pm, Mondays to Saturdays, and 11.30am to 4pm on Sundays. A team of volunteers is on hand to answer questions, give directions, hand out maps and trails and advise visitors. The information point also stocks souvenir books, postcards and gifts for sale. It is one of a number of tourist points in the town, including the Apex and Moises Hall Museum. My next article is, For three decades, every Christmas, Glasswells would hand out two pounds of sugar and a quarter pound of tea to every pensioner. The annual giveaway, launched in 1954 by company founder Jerry Glasswell in Bury St Edmunds, to recognise and thank the older generation for their support, proved hugely popular, attracting thousands of people. His grandson and current managing director, Paul Glasswell, said, Back in those early days, we recorded queues of over 6,000 people at our St Andrew Street shop. It was a time when people got a weekly pension and were quite prepared to queue up in the snow and bitter weather. As the department store celebrates its 75th anniversary this year, it is bringing back the significant tradition. 
the start of its charitable efforts on a limited basis from today for those born in 1946. The offer at Glasgow's and Bury St Edmunds and Ipswich of a free bag of sugar and a box of tea is limited, limited to the first 200 eligible customers at each store. <coughs> Excuse me. Those who take part will have the chance to win one of five £75 Glasswell gift cards. Paul's grandfather began the venture as a token of appreciation to the community for its support. The first distribution was in Bury St Edmunds, but was extended to Haverhill, Saffron Walden and Stowmarket. In a 1955 advertisement announcing the second distribution, Glasswell said, We have been fortunate in the past year due to the support of our many customers and we would like to pass on a little of this success to those less fortunate. That same year, Jerry, his son, Leslie and members of staff handed out sugar and tea to 750 pensioners in the first hour. In fact, Demand was so strong that supplies ran out, but more were quickly brought in, so no one went away disappointed. To receive the gifts, senior citizens were asked to call at the shop and show their pension books. Jerry was often there chatting with customers, whom he regarded as friends from the old days. In 1975, he said, I look forward to this as a family occasion. I meet old customers, old friends and people I served with in the First World War. At the time of Jay's death on May the 3rd, 1984, the firm had given away more than £100,000 worth of tea and sugar over three decades. Paul said, Over 30 years the value of the gift we are making was not quite as significant as when we started and came to a natural end when my grandfather died. However, this was the start of the company's charitable efforts and we have continued to support the local community ever since. So as we celebrate our 75th anniversary, it seemed appropriate opportunity to offer this out once again, on a limited basis to those born in 1946 and share the Glasswell's birthday. To claim your free tea and sugar, Visit Glasswell's in Newmarket Road, Bury St Edmunds, or Ranley Road, Ipswich, with photo identification that shows your birth year as 1946. The offer is limited to one entry per person. See in-store for full terms and conditions. Moving on to my next article. A community interest company has received a national award for its efforts in turning a neglected piece of land into a rose garden. Brandon and Bloom has been recognised with a Royal Horticultural Society RHS Award Planting with Purpose category. The garden includes 64 roses with each adopted by a local family for different reasons including birth celebrations, weddings and a memory of relatives. After their efforts, the group was selected to represent Anglia and Bloom at the RHS Awards. Rachel Sobichowski, head of horticulture, was an, said it was an honour to represent Anglia and Bloom in these unique awards 
and I'm so delighted for all of our dedicated, hard-working volunteers that their efforts in such difficult conditions has paid reward. Whilst the team has been officially recognised, they are still yet to receive their individual plaque. Moving on to my next article. An engineer-turned-author has unveiled a book detailing the untold history of Mildenhall's workhouse. Danny Pearson, 41, has been a long-time history fan, choosing to release his debut book on a collection of families who once lived in and around Suffolk for in extreme poverty. A Victorian workhouse, The Lives of the Paupers Mildenhall, Suffolk, is set to be released on November the 20th and will be available for on-demand print on Amazon as well as in numerous local bookshops. After curiosity struck down, struck during lockdown, Danny of Mildenhall took to the Bury Free Press archives, initially for personal research, to discover more about the area he cares so deeply about. If I won the lottery, I live in Mildenhall. I love this town, said Danny. When Danny discovered the heartbreaking true stories of those who previously lived in the town, his book was born. Although the book was originally illustrated by an American company, Danny chose to change designers, opting instead for Suffolk-based Paula White to help encapsulate the authenticity of the area. The book had received its forward by Charlie Haylock, Ralph Fine's dialect coach in The Dig. Danny said the most interesting family he uncovered with his research was the Graham family, who began as wealthy wig makers, but due to a series of unfortunate events, lost their fortune, becoming one of the most destitute families in the area. As part of his research, Danny collected several artefacts, antiques and photos, to help him give a sense of the people and time period featured in his writing. One of the artefacts he stumbled upon was the founding stone of the workhouse, in a car park of a block of flats, which the landlord discovered whilst preparing the land, and only kept because he found it aesthetically pleasing. He had no idea what an important important piece of history he had, Danny, Danny said. A founding stone is laid at a ceremony to celebrate the beginning of construction. The next article is Homes and businesses in and around Mildenhall can now access internet speeds as fast as a gigabit, 17 times quicker than the UK average thanks to a new broadband network. The new service, provided by independent broadband specialist Truly, has taken its service to 3,800 properties in Mildenhall, West Row, Beck Row and Worlington. Andy Conybear, Truly's Chief Executive Officer, said, Although access to full fibre broadband has grown significantly over the past year, we know it is still only available to 21% of households in rural West Suffolk. We are aiming to help put that situation right. The company launched in 2018 is on target to provide its service to 170,000 properties by the end of 2021, 
rising to 400,000 in 2022 and 1 million in 2024. Next article is Amazing Ivy Richmond has completed a huge feat to mark her 100th birthday, climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest. Ivy, who lives at Home Court in Kesgrave, has kept very fit over the past year. Nieces and Amanda Richmond and Sarah Norman organised some surprises for her birthday, which she was celebrating on October the 23rd. Ever since the day before her 99th birthday, she has climbed nine flights of 18 stairs daily. Now she has achieved her aim by climbing the equivalent of 10,000 metres, well over Everest's 8,850 metres, while raising money for Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. The challenge was in memory of Ivy's niece, Margaret, or Miggy, Richmond, who died aged 30 after spending much of her childhood at the hospital. Ivy said she was inspired by the late Captain Tom, who walked 100 lengths of his garden in aid of NHS charities. It was an amazing thing and I thought I'd like to do something like that. My niece was in Great Ormond Street Hospital and they looked after her so well and I thought it would be so nice to do something on my my 100th year, so I decided I would climb Everest. Ivy had a special wall chart to mark her progress as she clocked up the distances. During lockdown, she was still able to continue with her daily walk because the back stairs were closed to her room and she could use them without getting close to other residents. Amanda, who climbed Everest for real herself in 2009, said... Ivy is very fit, both mentally and physically, and she's doing really well. I'm sure that all the climbing is part of what has kept her fit. Amanda paid tribute to manager Jane Sewell and the staff at home court for their support for her aunt, saying they have been incredible. Ivy was born in London and lived in Epsom in Surrey for many years, working from the age of 15 to 65. She went to Pittman's Secretarial College, where she studied shorthand and typing, and then worked in the typing pool. She then became a personal assistant and will be visiting her old boss, Peter Williams, in Truro during a six-day road trip with Amanda after her birthday. To sponsor Ivy, visit www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash ivy hyphen richmond i'll just repeat that that's www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash ivy hyphen richmond and i actually have another two articles on fundraising and i've put them in because i i think it's important to recognize that there's a lot of good being done by people. And this one is an ex-serviceman on an 18,000-mile walk tour of the UK said he was met with so much love when he arrived in Suffolk. Chris Lewis, a former paratrooper, 
with 2nd Battalion Parachute Regiment, set out from his hometown of Swansea in August 2017 to embark on a trip around the British Isles. His mammoth challenge, which has included laps around each of the hundreds of offshore Scottish islands, has seen Mr Lewis rack up about 15,000 miles so far. The challenge has raised almost 250,000 in aid of SSAFA, which provides support for veterans of the British Armed Forces. The 41-year-old, who has been accompanied on the walk by his dog Jet and girlfriend Kate, crossed the border from Norfolk into Suffolk earlier this week. He has spent his first few days speaking to schoolchildren and neighbours in Lowestoft, Southwold and Oldborough, where he received a warm welcome. Mr Lewis, who camps outside every night, has arranged to meet up with Felix Domer Mark Jepson for further down the coastline and is expecting to be in Suffolk for another week and a half. But he said he has enjoyed his time in the county so far and paid tribute to the residents who welcomed the walkers with open arms. Mr Lewis said, We had a wonderful reception. What makes it even more beautiful is that Kate is from here. I spent so long in the wilds, it took me ages to do Scotland. So I was so excited to get down to the East Coast. We've really been met with so much love here in Suffolk. It's so nice to see the places clear of litter. The people here are so proud of where they live. They have welcomed us with open arms and made us feel like part of the community. My next uh, item is the organiser of the Bardwell Tractor Run has thanked everyone for making the seventh year of the event such a spectacle. The event returned to villages including Stanton, Rickinghall, Hinderclay, Stolantoft and Walshamley Willows on Saturday. The run welcomed 92 vehicles including lorries and Land Rovers as well as tractors of all ages and sizes. Lee Maddox said, The tractor run and evening went great. There were lots and lots of happy people. I would like to thank everyone that brought a tractor or a vehicle on the run. Without them, it would not have been the spectacle it was. Along the way, some of the participants had buckets collecting for the run's charities. Suffolk Accident Rescue Service, or S-A-R-S, and Bowel Research UK. Lee said there were many people coming out to donate during the run, with a pot already at more than £5,000. He said, The people were amazing in the villages we went through. We had well over £1,000 in donations along the route alone. I would like to say a massive thank you to every single person who came out to wave, cheer and donate. My home village of Stanton also did me proud as well with hundreds of people lining the street. The organiser wanted to give a special thank you to the village of Gislingham, where he said some of the children had made banners through the village for them. Lee said, I want to thank my family and friends for all their help too. With the Tractor on Total and other events we organise over the years, we have now raised more than £100,000. Thank you to everyone. 
Now I'm going to move on to uh, some letters. And the first one is from Vera Burrell, Coston's Close, Great Cornard. Watch out, there are some idiots about. I'm sure that I read somewhere in a few weeks ago that some idiot has suggested moving the bus station into the car park in Girling Street. Where was this person when this subject was being was big news about four or five years ago? Girling Street was one of the areas selected for the bus station, but it is not central enough. Most of the passengers are pensioners, or those without their own transport. And if one shops at Waitrose or Roy's, we walk up to Girling Street with shopping, we'd be too much. From Aldi down to Hamilton Road is not such a chore. The bus station should stay where it is. A cinema is not now required, when so many of the younger generation have smartphones and new gadgets that will let them watch all the latest films from the comfort of their homes. And do we really need more coffee shops? There was quite a vociferous group at that time, which operated under the banner of Save Our Bus Station. With this matter likely to be on the town's agenda again, it should be quickly reformed to put an end to all the ridiculous ideas that might be forthcoming, particularly, as I note, that bus services might be improved, so more space will be required. And that was Vera Barrel, Coston's Close, Great Cornard. Next uh, letter is from Kirsty Lee, Cats Lane, Sudbury. If it's a park, then leave it as such. In recent times, Bellevue Park has been the focus of attention, mainly due to the prospect of a building being put on a piece of its land. This suggestion causes me serious concern, as the definition of the word park is a large enclosed piece of ground, usually with grass or woodland attached, for public use. There is no mention of any construction, hence why I wonder how it is that Baber District Council appears to have the right to entertain a building project. The community of Sudbury is sticking together to try to save our park, not just for us, but for the future generation. My daughter, Caitlin, who is only six years old, wants us to save the trees and keep the park for recreational use. And that was the letter from Kirsty Lee, Cats Lane, Sudbury. The next letter is from Julian West of Thurston. Development levy cash needs to be spent now. Over the past four years, approval has been given by Baber Mid District Mid Suffolk District Council for over 1,300 new homes within the village of Thurston, consisting of seven major sites, plus numerous smaller scale developments, with four of the major sites well under construction, and a fifth to start imminently. The effect has been to turn most of the northern area of the village into a massive building site, with all the noise, dust, heavy vehicle traffic and disruption associated with large construction projects. 
Unfortunately, despite the Section 106 agreements that were negotiated prior to the approval of each development and the many hundreds of thousands of pounds that the developers have paid, the Council and Community Infrastructure Levy, CIL, so far, apart from new primary school, not one penny has been spent on the very necessary infrastructure improvements that are required within the village now as a a result of these ongoing developments. All of these schemes were passed on the basis that significant upgrading would occur to the road networks and major junctions within the village. Traffic management and pedestrian and cycling access features would be installed and residents' access to services such as a doctor's surgery would be improved. The inadequacy of the existing barrel crossing of the railway track at Thurston Station was also raised as a significant concern. To date, nothing at all has happened. Twelve months ago, Network Rail were granted £100,000 of CIL money to carry out yet another feasibility study and traffic assessment to provide an alternative solution to the barrel crossing at the station which they freely admit is over capacity and needs to be replaced. Since then, a youngster narrowly escaped with a life after being knocked off their bike by a train whilst crossing the railway lines. To date, they have done nothing. The crossroads known as Fishwick Corner has witnessed several accidents over the last few months. It is only a matter of time before someone is seriously injured or killed at this junction with the increase in traffic resulting from the growth of the village. There are several other major junctions within the village that need solutions to address the increase in traffic. Again, to date, nothing has been spent on junction improvements or pedestrian access and crossing solutions by the council or Suffolk highways. I am seriously concerned that while the building of new homes is rapidly progressing and new residents are moving into the village, the vital infrastructure improvements are not being carried out in accordance with the speed of the developments. Are we supposed to wait until all the developments have been completed before anything whatsoever is spent by Bayburg Mid-Suffolk District Council and Suffolk County Council to address the issues. The situation is totally unacceptable. The councils need to get their acts together, implement implement the measures negotiated in the Section 106 agreement and start to spend some of the vast CIRL reserves that they are sitting on. And that was from Julian West of Thurston. Continuing with uh, some letters... This uh, letter is from Gwen Pease of Ipswich. TV's antiques man film Philip is a jewel in the crown. Sir, Philip Serrell is a popular TV antiques presenter, has had his third book published, What Am I Bid?, is an entertaining and humorous account of his life as an auctioneer. He travels miles around the country from his home and sale room to seek out the weird and wonderful. 
The items go under the hammer and profits go to children in need. Philip has a penchant for the bazaar, from polished mahogany whatnots to rusty reclamation thingamajigs. However, he is innately proud of the beautiful hand-painted and gilded Worcester bone china. His expertise and tongue-in-cheek approach and also the trademark scarf endears him to many. In typical Cyril speak, Philip is as rare as hen's teeth. And that was from Gwen Pease of Ipswich. <coughs> and the next letter is from Sarah Thompson of Woodbridge. Implement Plan B now. Sir, we need Plan B now. Mr Johnson, as usual, is not doing anything. His complacency in this regard is well known and he will leave making a decision until the crisis is more extreme. Spanish and Italian individuals, for example, can be seen all wearing masks in public spaces, including Seatage, a well-known party town. Why aren't we? The government is being irresponsible. Yet again, when will we have repercussions in the winter to come? Our Prime Minister will have to cancel Christmas for a second time if he doesn't act now. The NHS is already experiencing enormous pressures. Seven-hour waiting times in A&E, patients filling the corridors, ambulances queuing to hand over patients to the hospitals, resulting in fewer ambulances to respond to other emergencies. Aggression towards NHS staff is increasing. After all they have been through, it's completely unacceptable and it's only going to get worse. Mr Johnson, you must act now if you don't want the NHS to implode and if that happens, you will be held responsible. And that was Sarah Thompson of Woodbridge. And the next letter is from Ian Dowson of Frinton. A nation of snobs. Sir, the letter from David Thompson, East Anglian Daily Times, October the 12th, whose fault is worker shortage, summed up the problem most lucidly. It has been a problem for decades, but industry and services have swept it under the carpet. Basking in the financial success of the country at the expense of the lesser paid. Society as a whole must now pay the price for this inertia. An additional cause of the problem is schools and colleges encouraging pupils to go to university, racking up massive debt, most of which will never be repaid, to obtain a degree in media studies and leave to work on zero-hour contracts for fast-food restaurants and fill shells in supermarkets. We have become a nation of snobs, considering ourselves too good to work in the fields getting our lily-white hands dirty, or driving a lorry or caring for an elderly or disabled person. And employers are too greedy to pay a decent wage for people to fulfil these roles, which have been under-resourced for decades. We have had the benefit, we are now paying the price. And that's from Ian Dowson Frinton. The next letter is from Audrey Naylor, Ipswich. Information must be right. Sir, fullfact.org, 
a cross-party independent group report that, according to research, three out of four British people see misinformation as a bigger issue than taxation. An example of misinformation still circulating was a Matt Hancock claim that the vaccine rollout was quicker in the UK because of Brexit. Full fact says similar claims have been also been made by other MPs, including the leader of the House of Commons, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Health Minister Nadine Doris and the MP Michael, Michael Fabricant. Whether they were knowingly or unknowingly wrong, with advisors, legal experts, quangos, committees, civil servants, secretaries and EU contacts on the tap, I think this error is extremely serious. Full fact says, as fact checkers, we've seen firsthand how bad information promotes hate, damages people's health and hurts democracy. Fullfact.org suggests a bill with new measures to protect us from this and they deserve our full attention. And that's from Audrey Naylor of Ipswich. And the next letter is from Julian Mason of Dis. Sense of reality required. Sir, now in my latter years and having listened to and read many exaggerated reports by describing Ipswich Town playing squad as star-studded, your reporter Mark Heath has taken it to a whole new level. Could he please explain how these players have deserved this accolade? None have played at the highest level, nor ever looked like doing so. I know that these phrases are thrown around in modern journalism, but please let us regain a sense of reality. And that was from Julian Mason of Dis. And the next letter is from John Bailey, Stanton. Brexit verdict, a total disaster. Sir, how much more embarrassing can the current situation this country is facing become for people who voted for Brexit, and indeed our country? Since the referendum, the country has progressively sunk to its knees. To such an embarrassing point of virtually now begging the very people from EU countries that we were callously turned away from and sent home to return and save our industries. Where are the people who continuously said they are all taking our jobs, they are just not there or stepping up forward? We now need butchers, abattoir staff to return to prevent massive, yes massive, livestock slaughter with potentially no end gain whatsoever. This in addition to all the other industries and operations suffering horrendously throughout shortages of staff. A sobering thought for all, there is now a 5.7 million NHS waiting list for what under normal circumstances would be considered urgent treatment. Much of this is not down to COVID. It is down to a shortage of staff and the overload on the heroes working within our NHS. If it continues, we simply will not have an NHS in its present form that we all know and love. We will not have a care industry either. Brexit has been a complete disaster. 
Denying such and being delusional will solve nothing. What's being done about these serious issues by our government is akin to tackling a raging fire within a feather. Nothing more, unfortunately. That's from John Bailey of Stanton. And now I'm going to return to some general items. And this one is, <clears throat> a district councillor says there is still more to do after an authority. And now I'm going to return to some general articles. A district councillor says there is still more to do after an authority won an award thanks to its environmental work, as it also revealed a 1.8 million climate change scheme. West Suffolk Council has been working to insulate park homes across the district, so far having done 75. And for its efforts, it was named Regional Council of the Year in the Energy Efficiency Association, East of England Energy Efficiency Awards. The council has invested in renewable technologies, been working to address and improve air quality, and created more electric vehicle charge points in council-owned car parks. Last year, they planted 1,500 plants. Councillor Andy Drummond, Cabinet Member for Regulatory and Environment, said, Alongside all these things, we are working to support residents, particularly those who are in low incomes, to live in healthier, more energy-efficient homes. He added, I am pleased to see part of our environmental work recognised with this award, but of course there is still much more that we want to do to deliver even more cuts to carbon emissions, as well as helping residents and businesses save money. It comes as the Council revealed its 1.8 million climate change action plan. Among other projects, 335 solar panels will be installed at Vicon House in Western Way, Bury St Edmunds. 128 solar panels at Provincial House in High Street, Haverhill. Air source heat pumps will replace gas boilers at Bury St Edmunds bus station and Knighton Park Visitor Centre. A new glazing at Provincial House will also be installed, saving 8.65 tonnes of carbon emissions per year. And the next article is A joint bid by a number of Suffolk authorities has secured significant funding from the Forestry Commission to plant around 3,000 trees this coming planting season. Suffolk County Council submitted the bid on behalf of itself, Ipswich Borough Council, Baybird District Council, Mid Suffolk District Council, and West Suffolk District Council, and will see 149,000. £712.55 come into the county for new trees from the local authority Treescapes Fund. Trees are vital not only in supporting our community's health and well-being, but in providing habitat for our wildlife so necessary to our joint survival, said Councillor Elizabeth Malvisi, Cabinet Member for Climate Change, Biodiversity and Sustainable Transport at Baybird District Council. Locations including Staverton Park, 
George Lambton Plainfield and Needham Lake have been selected as part of the investment. The fund targets treescapes that have been neglected or suffered damage in the past, including disused and vacant community spaces, and those affected by tree disease, as ash dieback, a highly destructive fungal disease. Now I'd like to just uh, give you something completely different. And this article is Halloween. Halloween has its origins in the pagan festival of Samhain, which marked the end of summer and a return to the dark days of winter. Samhain dates back to Dark Ages Ireland and possibly further. It was celebrated from the night of October the 31st until the following evening, the ancient Celtic day running from sunset to sunset. On the pagan wheel of the year, it is opposite Beltane, celebrated on May the 1st, which marks the start of summer. Both festivals are said to be times when the veil between this world and the other world as it is, is at its thinnest, making it easier for the spirits of the dead to return to earth. The name Samhain may come from an Irish word meaning summer's end. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November the 1st as a time to honour all saints, also known as All Hallows. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve and later Halloween. As the influence of Christianity spread, it blended with and supplanted older rites. November the 2nd became All Souls' Day, a time to honour the dead. It is thought the church was trying to replace the pagan festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. Over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving lanterns, festival gatherings, wearing costumes and eating treats. So, that's interesting. And I have another article, which, if you bear with me again, it's stuck to the page, so it's um, I've managed to uh, dislodge it. Tuning into sounds of past decades. On a fine Sunday, the chance was taken to drive through picturesque West Suffolk villages to visit a unique historical collection, which is only normally open on a few occasions during the year. Our destination was the pretty village of Monks Ely, with its fine, prominent hilltop church, village green surrounded by pastel, perfect 16th century cottages. And on the corner of Churchill and the street, the fine swan inn of similar, similar antiquity. Prominently standing sentinel-like upon the village green is a 150-year-old cast-iron village water pump, once the only source of water for the village, a traditional English village of character at its very best. Around the corner, a short way along the street, and next to the current United Reformed Church, is the former chapel building, now the home for many years of the Sounds of the Past collection of mainly sound-producing equipment from the last century. The collection has been brought together by local resident Paul Goodchild, 
and is the culmination of a 70-year interest in collecting radios and other sound equipment. Until a few years ago, Paul had nowhere to house and display his collection, but he was offered the former chapel premises and he jumped at the chance. It has been a labour of love for Paul to adapt and decorate the building, but it is especially interested in a large array of Echo Radios and EK Coal Limited manufactured these in South End on sea. And I, vis- I had visited a small collection of Echo Radios in the South End Museum there several years ago. As well as radios of all shapes and sizes, there were Danset transistor radios, which I also remembered from earlier times, and Danset record players complete with the drop-down arm which used to, hopefully, feed the next record from a stack onto the turntable, although not always successfully. Also a then top-of-the-range Bang & Olsen Hi-Fi, which at the time was well outside my means. Televisions were there from the very earliest small screen, used to view the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, to even a small miniature black and white TV, which could be bought in the 1980s. There was, of course, a jukebox, and also an organ on which concerts could be given to a small audience. Prize exhibit for me, however, and buried away amongst a collection of brownie box and instamatic cameras, was a slide film projector of the exact type I would have used at County Hall in Ipswich in the late 1960s. Working in the planning section of the clerk's department, one of my duties was to accompany the committee staff every month to the North Area Planning Committee in Lowestoft to operate the slide projector containing film of each planning application site and the proposed design elevations. Needless to say, the technology had its own idiosyncrasies and did not always work as it should, or perhaps that was due to me. All through our visit, Paul was on hand to talk to me about exhibits. The collection is only open on the first Sunday of each month. Admission is free, but Paul does invite donations to prostate cancer research. He's also a DJ and has just started post-pandemic to organise rock and roll dances again. A really interesting trip, which brought back many memories. Thank you, Paul, for having the initiative and determination to establish to establish such a unique collection and share your enthusiasm with the public. The pandemic has shown that interesting and unique experiences are indeed there within our fine county. And that was from Graham Day of Stowmarket. So, we're coming to the end of the St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. So News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Joan and myself, Graham, it's goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.